You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We're in a series called The Story of You, and this has been an amazing series, and people have really been growing and understanding how to understand themselves and love themselves and love other people better around them. And the Bible says that you and I were supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. Other places say our strength. And then he says, the second commandment is like the first, and that's to love your neighbor, wait for it, as yourselves. And I think one of the hardest things for us to do is to love ourselves. We, have, we live in a culture that preaches that you're supposed to love yourself, and it's really unhealthy self-infatuation, self-love. But what we're supposed to do is to actually appreciate the beautiful things about us, and that's tough at times to do. That the way God created you is that, yes, we have mess, yes, we rebel, we sin, but right next to that, God has also created you that there are some beautiful things about you that reflect the beauty and the glory of God right next to it. And so often we get focused on our performance or on what is wrong with us. And it's hard for us at times to accept ourselves and to love how God has created us. And there are some things that are right about you. And there's things that are right about your parenting and right about your work and right about who you are that reflect the glory of God because you and I have been created in his image. And he's created you to have beauty in you that reflects who he is to a lost world. And that's a great thing. And I want you to be encouraged by that because sometimes you think, well, I'm just so aware of what may, not, may, may be wrong with me. And God wants us to go beyond that to think, well, what has God done in us that is right and beautiful and good? And praise Jesus that his sacrifice on the cross takes care of so much of what is wrong with us. And God has got us on a process that walks us into wholeness with him. And if you have stopped growing in your life or you think maybe you've grown enough, well, I want you to know that you're not done. You're not finished. That God still wants you to grow in more and more wholeness with him until the day that we die. And here's why you need this series, the story of you. Because the story of you only makes sense within the big story of God. If you try to be significant, making life all about you, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to understand your own limitations. You're going to understand that having things doesn't matter. You're going to understand that your health is eventually going to fail. You're going to understand that you're mortal. But when you understand that your life is significant because of the big picture story of God, that he has created you for such a time as this, that he's placed you on earth for right now, you find your significance in the story that he's been weaving and telling since the creation of the universe. And you're part of that. And God wants to do great things in and through you. And if you've ever been to a, if you never, like you're here today and you rarely go to church, you've never been to a church, well, I guarantee you, you have seen this verse at a sporting event or a football game. And that verse is John 3.16. If you have your Bible, open to John chapter 3. We're going to be there today, but I'm going to jump ahead to verse 16. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And you wonder, where did this verse come from? How is that verse? If you just take that verse out of context, you don't understand what's going on. You don't understand the story behind the phrase, and it's this, that this conversation where Jesus says this takes place in the middle of the night. It takes place between a brilliant man, and it takes place between Jesus, the only one who can save humanity 
And that's Jesus Christ through his work on the cross. But this conversation's happening between two people. That man's name who investigates Jesus is Nicodemus. And I believe that Nicodemus is a five. I believe he's an investigator. And so we're going to look at that together today. Now, you need to realize that so far we've looked at the heart portion, the twos, the threes, the fours. Those are people who typically operate out of the heart. How do I feel is what they often ask. But now we're transitioning. We're making the greatest jump that we can to people who operate entirely on fact or out of the head. Out of the head. And that's a huge jump. So, for example, fours are the kind of people who feel more deeply than anybody else. And if you're a four and you're married now to a five, an investigator, there is a huge difference between you. And don't be discouraged by that. Because opposites attract, and it's a beautiful thing. But what's going to happen is we're going to look today at the five, the investigator. These are people who operate entirely out of the mind. And we're entering the mind portion, the five, the six, the seven. And people who, who operate within the mind portion, they basically live life up here. They live life on fact. They think this. And if you are in an argument, let's say you're a four, you're married to a five, when you argue, the four is going to say, well, I feel this. And the five is going to say, well, I think this. And you're going to have an argument, but you're going to have completely two different arguments. You're not even on the same page, right? Because you're coming at life from two completely different directions. They're valid, both of them, but you're missing each other because of the differences in your personality. Have you ever heard of someone say, well, I've been born again? How many of you heard the phrase born again? And it gets thrown around and people misunderstand it. They don't. Well, I want you to know the passage we're looking at today is where that phrase actually comes from. It isn't common language. It is New Testament language in the first century. And Jesus is literally going to try to get Nicodemus to get out of his head and in touch with his heart because that's the place where authentic faith can occur. You can know lots about God and miss God. So unless you're born again, he says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you'll never experience the life that God has for you. So listen to me. If you're a five, God has given you a beautiful mind, an amazing mind. You're a deep thinker. You're an investigator. We love you. I'm so thankful to God for you. We need you. We appreciate you. But if you're a five, you've got to get out of your head and connect to your heart. Because despite what you think, you do have emotions. They're in there. You do have feelings. How do we know that? Scientists, these people that are probably also fives, why? Because they observe, they investigate, and they take notes. Scientists say that no human being makes emotion devoid of, or makes a decision devoid of emotion. We all have emotion at some level on any decision we make. And so emotion is a huge part. So even if you're all about the facts, even if you're a five, even if you're going for it, and you're really thinking and investigating, you still have a heart. You are not Spock. Emotions are in there. You can't see it easily from the outside if you're trying to look in on a five, but they're there. And it's important for you to understand. So John 3.1 begins this passage. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So we enter Nicodemus. He's a real man who really lived. 
This man is one of the most amazingly intelligent human beings on earth at the time. He is world-renowned for his knowledge. He's absolutely brilliant. He's probably a mind above every other mind of his time. And Nicodemus is a Jewish religious leader, but he's not just a leader. This first verse tells us something amazing. It says that he's a Pharisee. So he's a part of this group of religious, almost the, the Pharisees that lead the people in the way to go. And he's also, listen, wait for it. For those of you who don't know your Bible history, he's also a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the legal Jewish ruling council. So you say, well, that's great. What does that mean? Picture this. Picture someone being a senator and a member of the Supreme Court as a justice at the same time. That's what that's like. Now, it's not constitutionally possible in America, but this isn't America. This is in Jewish structure, governmental structure. He is a Pharisee, a brilliant, brilliant mind. But he also brings so much value that he's part of the Jewish leading council, the Sanhedrin. Could you imagine that? The power of the man, a senator, a Supreme Court justice at the same time. He's a very powerful person in his culture, in his time, and he's brilliant. So we learn that about him. This is not just somebody curious about Jesus. This is somebody who wants to go deeper. John 3, 2, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs you're doing if God were not with them. And so he realizes this is one of the most educated individuals, accomplished leaders in Israel's history, and he refers to Jesus Christ as Rabbi. You know what he's doing? He's saying, I'm acknowledging that you are a right teacher, a rabbi. You are a brilliant mind like I'm a brilliant mind. I've seen your brilliance, and it doesn't take rocket science for him to figure out that there's something kind of special about Jesus. Because, listen, when a person raises people from the dead, and when a person takes a lunch and feeds 5,000 people, you're going, there's probably something different or special about this guy. Like, it doesn't take a brilliant mind to figure that out, but he wants to know why. He wants to get inside there and figure it out. And so that's what the fives do. They sit back sometimes. They watch and observe the world that we live in. They make observations and they note them. We have a word for that nowadays, right? It's called scientist. They take notes. They observe things. They make deductions on them. And so Nicodemus at his time is a brilliant mind. And he is saying, listen, it's obvious that you're from God by what I've observed, by what I've investigated. Because when you do these crazy cool miracles, it's obvious you're not like the rest of us. There's something special about you. So verse 3, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter the second time into their mother's wombs to be born. I mean, he's, he's, he's in facts. He's like, you just gave me facts and I processed them and I don't get it. Like, that's creepy. You can't go back inside your mom when you're an adult. Like, it, it just doesn't work. That's just creepy and weird, right? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases and you hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And Jesus instantly sees where Nicodemus is coming from. And he says to him, listen, Nicodemus, listen to me. You cannot observe your way into heaven. 
you can't stay detached and simply observe your way into heaven. Something has to happen. And this is why many intellectuals don't come to faith in Christ. You can be a professor of New Testament and let's say a public university. You can teach students about history and about Christianity and you can entirely miss Jesus. He's right there in front of you, but you can entirely miss him. A lot of intellectuals know lots about the Bible, but they know nothing about God. They've been born of the mind, but they've not been born again of the spirit. They don't know anything about God. Why is that? Because you can't wrap your mind around God. That when you and I come to faith in Christ, it's called faith because there's an action in the heart that has to happen. It's not just an intellectual pursuit. And so you have to be able to go there. You have to understand what faith is, and you have to be able to take that faith even when you realize my capacity to entirely get and understand and observe God is limited. What is Jesus saying to him? He's saying, Nicodemus, you trying to understand God is like taking the entire Mediterranean Sea and putting it inside a two-liter bottle. You can't do it. Let me say it for you. You can't wrap your mind around all that God is and all that God is so, his ways are so much higher than our ways. His ways are so much different than our ways that for us to be like trying to take the Pacific Ocean and put it inside a two liter bottle. You and I, we cannot do it. We cannot fathom God, let alone his love. You try to understand all the love of God. Again, it's so big and you're just trying to, we're trying to get it in our little heads. You can't think your way and observe your way into heaven. He says this, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What he's saying is something dramatic has to happen in you. There has to be real change for you to get into heaven. You can't think your way. You can't earn your way. You can't buy your way into heaven. So listen to me. Unless the spirit is involved in your conversion, then you are not saved. If you've not been brought from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive on the inside, then you're not saved. You might have walked forward at a Luis Palau crusade. You might have gotten baptized at Sun Grove Church. But if the Spirit of God doesn't do anything on the inside of you, all you did is you took a walk or you got wet. You were not saved. The Spirit of God has got to do something on the inside where you are renewed. Something needs to actually happen. There's an interaction between you and between Almighty God when new life begins. And Jesus says, listen, humans can reproduce humans, but only the Spirit can produce spiritual life. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but only the Spirit of God can make a spiritual awakening in you on the inside. You can't manufacture it. You can't figure it all out. You can't get it done apart from Jesus. Verse 9. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify to what we've seen, but you still do not believe or accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. Well, how then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Real loud, who's the Son of Man? Jesus. He's using the Isaiah Old Testament forecast of the Messiah and he's referring to himself as that. This is one of the areas that Jesus is basically telling people, I'm God. 
There's no one apart from me, like I am the Son of Man. So whenever, by the way, we get to the Son of Man, you can always say Jesus here in church because it's so important for me, for you to understand as we're in the Gospels, that when Jesus refers to the Son of Man out of Isaiah, that he is basically saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm God, I'm the only one become flesh, I am different than you. And yet I'm human just like you, and I can understand your weaknesses. I'm tempted in every way, but am still without sin. Man, that makes him different than us, doesn't it? Because he's the one born of God and of the virgin. And we are born of flesh to flesh, but he's born of spirit. And so I want you to understand that that's what he's referring to, the Son of Man. Verse 14, just as Moses, he used the Old Testament example, just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone believes may have eternal life in him. Then he says, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That's what our world thinks right now, right? People, Christians, believers, or religious people, they just condemn. God didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Well, Nicodemus goes, how are these things possible? See what Nicodemus is doing? Jesus, he's having this conversation, but Nicodemus is still observing. Nicodemus is still detached. He's going, okay, great examples, but how are these things possible? He's still detached and observing. He, he's watching. He's, he's not fully engaged. And Jesus replied, listen, you are Israel's special teacher, yet you don't understand these things. Listen to me. If you're a college student in here, listen to me. There are some things your teachers do not know. They don't know. They may project that they know, they may look like they know they're incredibly intellectual, great minds, but yet there are things that they still don't know. And you can have a great mind but not be born again of the Spirit of God. And so you are spiritually discerned in that area. You don't know. Jesus lights him up. He goes, how is it, Nicodemus, that you're the best we've got? You're Israel's genius, and yet you still don't know or have a clue what I'm talking about. Wow, the five is engaged now. He's pushed through some of his head. And he says this, if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how are you going to believe me if I tell you about heavenly things? And he says this, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned except the Son of Man who has come down from where? From heaven. Listen to me. Help this get through your skull. That Jesus is the only one who's come from heaven and down to us which makes him a reliable guide of how to get there. Everybody else is just guessing. Everybody else's human effort, human theology, human religion, thinking about how to get to that next level. Jesus is saying, I'm the one who's been there and have come down and no one can get back to the Father but by me. He's a reliable guide. He's one that Nicodemus can trust. Because he has information Nicodemus knows nothing about. So he says, Nicodemus, you're an investigator. So watch for this future event to come to pass. He's going, I'm going to give you a teaser. Remember in the Old Testament when Moses, the God had condemned some of the people for disobeying. And snakes came into the camp and they started biting the people. And so Moses formed a bronze snake and put it on a pole, on a stick, and elevated it. 
And God instructed him to do so, so that when people, if they got bit by the snake, they could look up and they could see that, that bronze snake on a pole and they would be saved by looking to the one that was lifted up. And he says this, Nicodemus, watch for a future event. You're an investigator. You're an observer. Watch for the future event that the Son of Man has to be lifted up, that all who put their trust in him will be saved. Hasn't happened yet. But he's saying, Nicodemus, if you're such an observer, I want you to watch for something that's going to happen. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's good news, isn't it? Isn't that good news? Like literally, like, it's so, that's why they put it up at different events because they want people to look it up and go, there's good news. In fact, people always hear this phrase, the gospel. Well, you got to share the gospel with your friends or you got to like turn to the gospel. You got to be true to the gospel. You know what gospel means? Good news. It's not like this big fancy like, ooh, it's this mysterious word. No, it means good news. It means that you can have eternal life through Jesus. That's good news. That he paid the penalty for our sin. We don't have to do it for ourselves. That's great news. And so that's what we're saying. Listen, when I say when you share your faith with your neighbors or others, don't make it so crazy and mysterious. Just share. There is good news. There is good news. Everybody likes good news. We all get inundated with bad news, right? Everything's going to kill us. Well, let me tell you, there's something that can save your soul. It's good news. Well, how do you get from here to there? Well, it's a heart issue. You can't think your way there. Listen, investigators, you are amazing. You've got brilliant minds. You're often geniuses. And write this down. The investigator reflects God's wisdom. Nicodemus is trying to make sense of Jesus, right? He's going, okay, Jesus, this guy, he walks on water. That's different. He takes a little kid's lunch and he blesses it and he feeds over 5,000 people. We can't do, how did that happen? I don't know. He's investigating. He wants to know. He can't wrap his mind around it. He's intrigued. And what I want you to know is that the investigators, you pursue wisdom. It's beautiful. In fact, in pursuing wisdom, you're just like the heart of God. Because God is wise and God is the source of all wisdom. And he gives freely wisdom to people who ask without finding fault. James, the brother of Jesus, tells us in his gospel, in the New Testament, in his epistle. And so he tells us this. And so that's what he's doing. He reflects the wisdom of God. If you're a five, God bless you. God bless your mind. God bless your hunger for wisdom. Investigator, write this down, wants to gain knowledge. Man, if you're raising a little five, guess what their number one question is? Why, right? Why, why, why? Uh, yeah, I don't know why. I just want to know, like, my, uh, we were raising a little five. One of my boys is predominantly a five, and we were raising him. And he'd ask questions, right, why, all the time, why? I don't, yeah, I don't know. And he'd ask, why, why do vacuums work? I, I don't know. And whenever we'd be at the mall and we couldn't find him, we'd be in the store, where, where is, you know, we're looking around for him. He'd be in the back room because that's where the vacuums are. And every store is a different manufacturer of vacuum. And he wants to know how they all work. And he's like five years old. And I'm just telling you, like, if you're raising a little Einstein, if you're raising a little genius, just step back and just say, you know what? We're, you know, they're six years old, but they're just smarter than all of us. Just let them go. Just let them go. Let them understand why. It may be wear you down, but they want to know why. The rest of us, we don't care. 
I just want the vacuum to work, right? You get on a plane, you're like, I don't care how the plane works, I just want it to work. In fact, I hope we're on time. And that's what, that's what you do when you get on a plane, right? But fives, by the way, fives make great pilots. That's who you want at the wheel if something's wrong with the plane, right? You want a five, I gotta figure this out. The investigator, write this down, wants to uncover truth. They want good science, great research. They don't want lobby-based results. What they want is the real deal. They seek output and input from both sides. Nicodemus already knew what his side thought. He had been a part of the group and all the Pharisees who were jealous that the people were leaving them and going after Jesus. So he already knew, what is my own side? What does the Jesus-bashing side say? He goes, I've already heard it. I've already heard it all. I know all the arguments, I know all the bashing about Jesus, and I know that, but because I'm an investigator, I at least got to hear the other side. So he comes to Jesus at night, notice not during the day, but he's intrigued, and he wants to know, and so he's got to go hear the other side. Isn't that so often true for us? We always think the first report is right until we hear the other side. How often does the news come out with something and then it comes out with something later and they're doing a retraction and we're like, I got so worked up, right? How often did you talk to a friend and all of a sudden their account seemed right, but then you talk to the other party involved and you're like, ooh, wasn't exactly how it was posed the first time, right? The investigator wants to know both sides. Write this down. The investigator wants to avoid, what do they want to avoid? Incompetence. Investigators hate group projects. They don't like them, right? Because somebody in the group is going to be a little bit incompetent, and they're trying to avoid that, and now you're dragging them along, and you hate that kind of thing. Investigators, they want to avoid incompetence. Let me just say this. If you're raising an investigator, you're married to one, don't ever embarrass a five. They don't like it. They don't like being embarrassed. They will not come out of their shell if you're going to embarrass them all the time. And by the way, I'll give you some free advice. Don't interrupt a five. Because if they do, they'll simply shut down and withdraw. Why? Because information is precious to them. And if you're not going to give it the time, you're going to interrupt them, they'll be like, okay, I'm keeping it to myself. Like, I know, and I don't care that you don't know, I'm just going to go ahead and quietly retreat further and further back. And here's the thing, investigators, I mean, you fives, you know almost everything. So guess what the rest of us are trying to do? We're trying to figure out when you're wrong. Yes! I knew something you didn't know. You're doing a little dance, right? You're like all excited. Like, woohoo! I finally knew something you didn't know. And you're excited about that, right? Why? Don't do that. Like, let them observe. Let them investigate. Push them to go deeper. Well, I want to talk about what does a healthy investigator look like when healthy investigators remain calm and focused when making decisions and processing, right? They're going to be calm and focused this is what you want, right? When you go to the emergency room, you get an accident, you're all hurt, you're all beat up, you're all messed up, you know what's going on. If you go to the emergency room and it's a four in the emergency room, a four's gonna be like, oh my gosh, you're hurting so bad, you're probably gonna die, right? That's what happens, they're gonna be like that. The three's gonna look at you, he's gonna look you over and go, I'm not operating on this guy, I don't want that on my record. The two is going to be like, where's the gauze and can I call your family and I'm going to start the meal train for you. And the one's going to be like, um, you should have been wearing a helmet. <laughs> should have been wearing a helmet. Right, you want a five, the person who's like calm and focused in the emergency room. 
A healthy five is secondarily very thoughtful, and their knowledge in multiple areas makes them incredibly perceptive. If you're married to a five, here's why you fell in love with them. They know so much about so many areas. They watch and they perceive, and they see your uniqueness. Listen, and they love it. That's why you fell in love with them, because they saw you for you. You may not have the mind that they have, but all of a sudden you're going, that person, he or she, appreciates me. That's why you fell in love with them. They're perceptive. Third, a healthy investigator is insightful and observant. They want the world to be less chaotic and a more organized place. They just want the world to work right. They're smart about it. But that's the healthy five. What happens when you're a five and you're becoming more and more unhealthy? What does that look like? Well, let's unpack that a little bit. When unhealthy investigators shift from being observant to being detached. Detached. See, if you're raising a kid and you think they're a five, you got to watch video games and you got to watch computers and even books. Why? Because they'll disappear into those things. They'll completely go over to those things. They'll not be available. They can, they can run away because computers and books and video games, those make sense. People don't make sense. People are messy and chaotic and unpredictable, right? People are erratic. They're weird. We're bizarre. But an unhealthy five can retreat deeper and deeper into themselves, into their head. So you've got to make sure that you love them and care for them but you also have to pursue them. And listen to me, if you're raising a five, you've got to pursue them and say, hey, we expect that you spend at least five minutes with us eating dinner. You know why? Because they want to take their meal and eat in their room. They want to go and run away and escape, but you got to keep pursuing them and drawing them out so that they're being a healthy five. A couple things just to acknowledge. Do not engage, uh, an unhealthy five does not engage emotionally or socially in healthy ways. They start getting in their head and they run away into their beautiful mind. Next, if they're unhealthy as a five, they are avoiding incompetence, can cause them to withdraw completely from the world around them. Everything is going to begin to seem incompetent, and so we engage nowhere. If you're an investigator, then we've got to also deal with what your core sin is. Because you might be a healthy five or an unhealthy five, but we all have a core sin, and none of us like our core sin, and all of our core sin stinks. So none of us are going to like it, but here's what yours is if you're a five. The investigator's core sin is greed or stinginess. You're greedy with your time, with your knowledge, with your emotions, and with your money. Fives do something interesting. Fives withhold. They withhold. They're probably great savers. Listen, if you're a five, and let's say both of the parents are fives, you're too busy providing for your family, and you're not engaging relationally with them. You're being like, I'm on the provider track, and I, I don't know how to engage emotionally with you, and, and that's really hard. In fact, if you're a five, you're going to at times have struggle volunteering in church. You want to know why? Because sometimes you're surrounded by incompetence. Because church is people. So you can't get away from it, right? We are the church, not the building. We are the church. If you love someone that's a five, they're going to be greedy at times or stingy with their emotions. They hold it in. If you, if you love a five, it might be a son or a daughter. It might be a spouse. It might be a, a brother or sister. But if you love that person, sometimes it's going to be like you're loving them, but they're on the other side of the glass. They let you in slowly. You might be all emotional and tell them everything and be oversharing. To them, they're going to let you in slowly, and that's okay. You still pursue them even when they're there. 
Number six, the healthy five is always in pursuit of generosity. If the core sin is greed or stinginess, then you've got to be generous. You've got to be generous with your time, your knowledge, your emotions, and your money. You have to share your emotions. Fives, your emotions are in there. They may seem hidden, but they're in there. You can't just be like, well, I told you once that I love you. That should be sufficient. It's not sufficient. You need to be generous with your emotional words. You need to understand, identify, observe your emotions, and be generous to the people that you love around you with your words. Not only should you be generous with your emotions and your words, but second, you need to be generous with your knowledge. Do you know that fives actually have a hard time sharing what they've learned? Because their knowledge is like a treasure to them. They acquired it. They got it. They did the work to get it, and it's precious to them. They don't want other people to squander it. And so sometimes as a five, if you're un unhealthy, you can be greedy with your knowledge. Let me tell you something. If you're an investigator, you make a great teacher, you make a great professor, you make a great Bible teacher. But you can share what you learn. And being generous with your knowledge is an important thing. And, and if you're a five and you have read the Bible from cover to cover and you've investigated these things, listen to me. You can know all sorts of things about the Bible. But the Bible is to be shared. It doesn't do any good if you just ingest it all and keep it to yourself. You make a great Bible teacher. And it needs to be shared with others. And you become healthy as you're in relationship, engaging in conversation in that way. Let me just say this. What good is studying the Bible from cover to cover if you just keep it to yourself? It's meant to be shared. Listen, fives, you need to be generous with your money. You earned it and you hold it. Fives are typically great savers, but at times they're stingy with it. And here's what's important. You're going to have to work on generosity in your life. You're going to have to begin to break that greediness. And, and the way to break greed is being generous. And so what it means is, you know, you're stingy at times with your money. You have a hard time just being generous and sharing with somebody just because to share with them financially. You've got to learn to be generous. A healthy five is always in pursuit of generosity. Listen, you're going to do it your entire life. If, you want, if you're a five and you want to be healthy, you're going to have to pursue and pursue and grow in generosity your entire life. You have not arrived. You're going to continue growing your entire life. The day you get into heaven, that's the day you can stop growing. But until then, you're going to have to grow in generosity. It's how God is going to transform you. God's going to change you. He's going to complete you. But until that time when you're in heaven, you have got to keep growing, and a healthy five is always in pursuit of generosity. Write this down. How do you need to be real with God? Every personality type needs to be real with themselves and with God. How do you be real with God? You need to get out of your head and in touch with your feelings. The second time we see Nicodemus is in John chapter 7, when they're trying to arrest, they're plotting to arrest and plotting to kill Jesus. And Nicodemus realizes among the Pharisees that they're plotting to kill him and they're not doing it according to the law. He's not getting a fair shake. And so he steps up for Jesus. And let me tell you, they all turn on him. Oh, have you become a follower of Jesus too? They probably don't even know that he went and visited him and heard the other side in the middle of the night. They don't know what's going on within that five. But he stands up for them and they jump on him. And we don't know if Nicodemus became a believer, but we know this, that when Jesus Christ was crucified and his body was taken off the cross, the tomb was provided by a man, a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea, and the funeral expenses were paid for by, wait for it, 
Nicodemus. The scripture says this, later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. And he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And taking the body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. See, scholars, we, I've looked into this, scholars argue. They go, well, how much were those 75 pounds of precious spices? How much was that worth? Like spices were more money than gold was at the time. And how much was that worth? And they'll argue and they'll be like, he literally spent anywhere between $50,000 of his era to half a million dollars to bury Jesus. Why? Jesus gave him a sign. Nicodemus, just wait. Wait for the Son of Man to be lifted up on a pole. And he sees it with his own eyes. And that's the only way to be saved. And at that point in time, there is a change, a transformation, I believe, in Nicodemus' heart. And so he comes and he spends his own money to provide for it. And that's great. He gave his time. He was generous with his time. He was generous with his money. And then he was generous with his knowledge. Why was it important for Nicodemus to be there? Because he knew how a king should be buried. Remember a couple weeks ago, I'm joking about the ladies going to the tomb and, and they're like got the spices with them because they're not quite sure the guys did it right. Oh, the guys did it right. In fact, they have the one brilliant man who knows exactly how the king of kings and the Lord of lords should be buried. Which makes the resurrection all that more amazing, doesn't it? I believe that Nicodemus moved from spiritual death to spiritual life. I believe he was born again. Well, how do I love an investigator? Quickly says this, acknowledge their need for personal space and time. Give them leash. Give them some freedom to investigate, to observe. Second, express how much it means to you when they engage. Sometimes a five will be like a cat. Sometimes they're like, I'm not engaging. And other times they're like, want to come and be snuggly. And that's just the way it is. And it's okay. Like, give them freedom. And appreciate it when they make the right choice, when they do that. Third, don't criticize how they have fun. Listen, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean you should criticize it. They have fun. And if they're having fun in an okay and a godly way, encourage that. Fourth, utilize their knowledge and wisdom. Utilize them. See their value. Help direct that knowledge and wisdom in a way to benefiting the glory of God that they're representing by being wise. For just a moment, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I want you to just think to yourself as we prepare to go to a time of communion, what a better weekend to observe communion, the death that Jesus paid for us on the cross than when we're talking about this. But with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, and this is just so you're simply thinking about your own life. But if today you're realizing, I, I might have prayed a prayer, I might have gotten baptized, I might have done something, but I don't know that I've ever had the Spirit of God make me spiritually alive on the inside. You may know a lot about Jesus, but you've never bridged that leap of faith. And maybe today is the day that like Nicodemus, you have your eyes opened and you make the difference between your head and your heart 
and you begin to acknowledge the King of kings and the Lord of lords for who he is, the only one who can save, the only one through whom you can have eternal life. And if that's you today, then he offers you a free gift, eternal life through faith. And the way that you receive that is you pray a prayer like this. Just pray right where you're seated. Jesus, today, I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you're God. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. Wash me as white as snow and make me spiritually alive on the inside because today, Jesus, I give you me. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, will you just raise your hand if you prayed that prayer right now? Anywhere around the room that today was the day you prayed it. Great, right down here in the middle, right over there on the side. You might be up in the balcony, all the way in the back. I see two of your hands up in the back. And you might be in the loft. My friends will see you up there if you just slip your hand up. All the way right down here in the front. That's awesome, right over there on the side. God, we're so grateful. Jesus, today we come before you and we say thank you. Thank you for being greater than us. Thank you, God, for showing the way. Thank you for sacrificing your comfort and yourself to be lifted up on a pole. And so today, God, we remember that your body was given, your blood was shed as we share in communion. We pray in Jesus' name. Together we said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.